Well, good morning. I wonder if you've ever heard little kids pray. Sometimes they can make you laugh, right? we got a couple for you. Joy says this, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Peter asked God, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this year. No, that wasn't from our kids' camp. Dear God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> i got one more for you. Charles says, Dear God, I do not think anybody could be a better God. Well, I just want you to know, but I'm not just saying that because you are God. Love Charles. Right, little kids, how they pray, they can make us laugh. And, and you know, I can relate to this because uh, we've begun to teach Ainsley, my three-year-old, and Landon, my two-year-old, how to pray. And Ainsley now often prays before our meals. And so this is how she prays. Landon, close your eyes. Dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Amen. That's her prayer. And yep, that's the pastor's daughter. That's her prayer. Deep, theological, and we're working on it. Right? Um, Thank you for this food. Amen. And so they can hurry up and eat. But occasionally, something different will happen. And all of a sudden, you have to stop. Because the words that are coming out of this little person's mouth are actually so sweet and so sincere and so pure that you're certain that this little girl has captured the essence of prayer. As I was talking through this concept with Stephanie this past week, she was telling me of how Ainsley was so in tune with Stephanie as she was pregnant with Callan our youngest, and, and she remembers a time where apparently I wasn't home yet from work and maybe they were praying over a meal, but Ainsley started to pray. I'm sure she started with Landon. Close your eyes. And then she started to pray. And she started to pray for Mommy that she would feel better. And she started to pray for baby Callan that he would come soon. And then she prayed for Daddy, that he would come home from work soon. And she's just praying. And then I'm sure she prayed for her food, and they went on. But you know what? I think it's in those moments that, I, that we get a sense of what real prayer is and, and should be. And we inherently understand the difference between this quick, memorize Jesus, thank, me for a, thank, us, thank you for this food, and a prayer that brings us really into the presence of God. And I've caught that at small moments with even my three-year-old daughter. And I saw that while I was in seminary with a professor named Roger Pugh. And man, when he prayed, you wanted to be in the room. And I've experienced that here. It happened for a while on Wednesday mornings. We would meet down the hallway with Ruth Ann Haskins at 6.30 in the morning. Occasionally some others would come, but Ruth Ann was there every week. And she would pray, and you just felt like you were there in the very throne room of God when she prayed. And I've experienced that here in the chapel as well, in Pastor Keith's office. As the elders gather, 
and we bring someone in our congregation and we put them in the middle of the office and we lay our hands on them and I hear our elders pray. And it's in those moments that we understand that there is something deep and moving and there's a mystery around prayer. And I wonder if you've ever been in those moments. I wonder if you've ever been in the presence of someone that has brought you to a new place with God that makes you feel like you are sitting right next to God. I wonder if you've heard someone pray and as they pray, you kind of your ears perk up and you're like, wow, there's something different about how that person prays and they're using all the same words even that you pray, but it just seems to be so much more holy and maybe you don't even know what it is, but you just know that there's something different. And maybe you've been like me and you're like, man, I want to pray like that. I want to be the person that when they pray, people stop and listen and see and hear God. And I wonder what makes the difference. Why does it seem like there can be such difference in prayer between one person to the next or one day to another? And I think we're going to find the answer as we open up our Bibles this morning and we continue in this series, A Model Church, through First Thessalonians. And so this morning we're going to look at the end of chapter 3. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles, First Thessalonians chapter 3. And what we're going to see is Paul doesn't give us instruction about prayer. But Paul shows us how prayer ought to be done. He models prayer for us. So as we come to the Word of the Lord, as we consider prayer, let's go before God for a moment together. Dear Lord, be with us this morning as we open up Your Word to learn what it is to pray. Lord, I pray that You would help us see what You would have us learn, that You would convict us, and that You would challenge us and that you would encourage us all at the same time this morning as we look at these few verses together. Lord, I pray that the meditation of my heart and the words of my lips would be pleasing to you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So I hope you got it here. First Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to back up. We covered a little bit of this last week with Pastor Keith, but I'm going to start in verse 9. So if you'll read through it with me. Verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. As we consider just these few verses this morning, we're going to find three factors of effective prayer. Three factors of effective prayer. And the first is simple. Effective prayer is driven by genuine love. If you've been around, we've actually talked about this concept of genuine love for the past two weeks. We've seen it 
over and over again. And before we move off these verses, we would we can't miss Paul's motivation. As Paul prays for this church, we know that he's motivated by love. It's his love that drives his prayer. He genuinely cares for this church. He genuinely wants to see these people again. Look in these verses about how Paul describes their relationship. He says, we feel joy. He says, they're praying earnestly. That they're looking forward to seeing them face to face. That they're looking forward to being able to invest in them spiritually. And so as they were separated, as as Paul was ran out of the city, he's worried about the church and the people. And so in love for them, he writes to them. In love for them, he sends Timothy to get word about them. And so as we consider a model prayer this morning, we're going to have to be self-reflective as we look at each one of these factors of effective prayer. We're going to need a pause and ask ourselves some questions. And the first is this. Who are we praying for? Pause for a moment. Think about the people that you care about. Think about those who you love. Do you pray for them? Well, of course, I'm a Christian. Really, do you pray for them? Your care and your concern for them, does it show up in your prayers? But now I want to ask you another question. Who should you be praying for? Is there anyone that God is calling you to invest in? Is there anyone that God is calling you to pray for? Yes, there is. And you can start by looking around this room. It's okay. Look left, look right, look around. This room, we should be praying for one another. You're looking around and you're like, well, I don't know that guy. Good. Go meet him so that you can pray for him. Go meet her so you can pray for her. If we say we are a church and we say we are four people and four community, we need to know each other. Don't worry about being embarrassed. Maybe they've been here for 15 years and you don't know it. I do it all the time. Hey, have we met before? I, there's, there's a couple in this church. I'm sorry if this is you, but you know. You know by now, I think I've asked them their name like six times over the past four weeks. I just can't get it. It's okay. Get to know them. Meet them. Talk with them. Because if we want to pray effectively for one another, it means that we're not going to just be able to pretend we don't know everybody. If we want to pray effectively for one another, that means that we can't just pray for the things that show up on our email because we're on the prayer chain list. Like, do that. That's a good start. But I think Paul would call us to go deeper. It means that we have to actually care about one another. It means that we have to love one another. And that's going to require that you get to know one another. That you would find out firsthand from someone how we can be praying for them. And we're going to talk about that a little more in just a minute. So we have these people in this room that I would say you are called to pray for if we are in the same church. But what about our missionaries? Right? It's missions, emphasis, a month after all. I would encourage you, go in the back after service, 
grab a missionary handbook and find someone, if not all of them, to pray for. One of the missionary handbooks, they tell you there's 22 missionaries and 22 missionary families that are represented in that book. And do you know what they need more than money? It's listed right here in this pamphlet that you got. My 2019 mission support commitment. Honestly, we don't care so much about the amount. God's going to do what God's going to do and you are a generous congregation. I am confident that we are going to raise and whatever. We're going to, in faith, trust God to provide the money. You know what our missionaries need? I will pray for and communicate each month with fill in the line. What our missionaries need more than a check? Relationship. Care. Concern. Love. Prayer. You know, I read a letter this week. It was written by a missionary wife. And it's not one that's in this in our book, but I think she represents some very true, uh, something that's very true of many missionary wives and probably wives and people in this room even. She sends this letter and she talks about being a mom and being a wife who is barely holding things together on a foreign mission field. She talks about being overwhelmed and isolated and lonely. This missionary wife talks about having doubts, being stressed out and and looking for relief but not knowing where that relief is going to come from. She was longing for the day that maybe they would just return back home home. She longed for the women around her to see her as, as, as just a regular mom, but at the same time was worried about what they might think about her if they find out that she's not a super missionary Christian mom and wife. But thankfully, she was writing this letter with joy because something changed over the summer. You know what that was? Her and her husband met another believing couple that they could share life with, that they could talk about their struggles, their ups and their downs with, that they could have a Bible study with and be encouraged and strengthened in their faith. And that brought them joy. She speaks for many missionaries and many missionary wives that we have missionaries who are desperately looking for relationships and we have the amazing opportunity to not only send them a check, but to support them by reaching out. And in Paul's day, you couldn't text Paul. You couldn't call Paul. You couldn't friend him on Facebook. You couldn't, like, that wasn't happening then, but we can do that now. There's a hundred different ways we can get you in contact with these missionaries. We have a couple of missionaries, John and Hannah, who live literally in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Ocean. Do you know what they have? Email. They can't check it every day. But I guarantee you they'd be glad to see some emails from the Chapel of the Lake whenever they can get their email. And they do. They send us emails and reports. If we want our prayer to be effective, we need to be sure it is driven by love. And that begins with relationship. Paul then takes the time in the next three verses to write out his prayer for the church at Thessalonica. Look again with me. Verses, it starts with verse 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so here we find the second factor of effective prayer. Effective prayer is marked by spiritual maturity. Look at the things in these verses that Paul is praying for. He says, I'm eager to see you face to face so we can fellowship together. I am looking forward to supplying what is lacking in your faith. He wants them to grow and mature and he wants to be able to teach them. He trusts that God would make a way for them. He wants their love to increase, not only for each other, but for everyone around. He wants them to have pure hearts, to live in holiness, so that they would be blameless as they anticipate the return of the Lord. And so as we look at this prayer from Paul, we see what he considers most important, and that's spiritual maturity, sanctification, growing in grace. What's also notable to me in these verses is what Paul doesn't pray for. You know, this was a persecuted church. I'm sure they they had a lot of needs. He doesn't pray for health. He doesn't pray for money, food, supplies. He doesn't pray for comfort. He doesn't pray for ease. In fact, if you go through and you start reading every one of Paul's prayers throughout the New Testament, he never prays for those things. There's one time, if you want to try to make a case for Paul praying for relief for himself, and that's when he has a thorn in his flesh. But you know what he says? He puts it right back on God. God didn't answer that the way I wanted, but I realized when I am weak, that's when God is strong. And he relied on God all the more. And I know that. Because I read every one of Paul's prayers over this past week. You know how many of them are? there are? There's at least 42. 42 prayers throughout the New Testament that Paul formally has prayed for a church or a people. And over and over again, do you know what things he prays for? He prays for things like the unity of the believers. He prays for the strengthening of their faith and boldness to preach the gospel. He prays for believers to be increased in their faith, hope, and love, but also that they would remain steadfast, that they would endure suffering, that they would be patient in affliction. He prays for the grace and the peace and the comfort that only comes through knowing Jesus Christ. He prays prayers of thanksgiving over the fellowship of the saints, over the knowledge that He has partners in ministry, and He prays that His ministry would be effective. And as you read through prayer after prayer, you can't help but see Paul's heart for for the people of God to be transformed by Christ and for the whole world to hear the good news that He brings. And once again... I have been convicted this week as I consider what are we praying for. And I wonder how often are we praying for the things that Paul never prays for. Some version of health and wealth and prosperity. Now listen, does that mean we shouldn't pray for someone to be healed when they get sick? 
Does that mean we shouldn't pray for the person that really needs that check to come in to pay that bill? Does that mean we shouldn't pray for that car to get fixed, that person to find that job? No, absolutely not. Pray for those things. Scripture tells us to pray for those things as well. But what Paul helps us do is have a proper perspective about what is most important. And here's where I think we get, here's where I think is our major hang-up. We are so focused on praying for the result we want to the neglect of what God is doing through the process. So then, what are we supposed to pray? Well, it starts with what we've already talked about. In order to know what you're supposed to pray for, you're going to have to know the people that you are praying for. Do you know what spiritual needs exist around you? And if not, why not? Have a conversation. If you've been around for the past few weeks and been around the chapel at all, you may have noticed that we've eliminated the meet and greet time. Some of you noticed that. We didn't say anything about it. We just did it. And some of you are caught off guard like, I didn't get to shake anybody's hands and... And I'm sorry for that. We didn't really tell you anything about that. We've got a couple of reasons, and some of it is about bringing purpose and, and um, to the beginning of the service and, and calling us to worship together. But, you know, part of that is about this concept. It may be awkward for some people. We're not really too worried about that. But really what we're concerned about is our people getting to know each other. And really shaking somebody's hand on a Sunday morning in five or ten seconds, you're not getting to know that person at all. Um, you want to get to know some people, can I encourage you to do something? Because the meet and greet time probably isn't really going to be around very much. Uh, come early. Doors are open at like 7.30. You can come early and meet some people. Maybe you don't want to come at 7.30, you can come at 8.15. There's plenty of people here then. 8.25, we've got music playing, the lights are on. Talk to some people. Meet somebody. I've had better conversations over the past few weeks knowing that there's not going to be a meet and greet time, so I could go find somebody that I can just talk to. And hear their story for briefly. You know what I encourage you to do? Don't just ask them how the weather is. Hey, how you doing this week? No, don't just tell me it's fine. How can I pray for you? What's going on? You can come early if you want. Um, you can say after. Now, if someone does have to shut off the lights and we do lock the doors at some point, but you don't need to run to your cars. There might be some people in here that you don't know and you're looking around and say, hey, guess you can go meet them. And you can talk to them. You can introduce yourself. Especially if you've been here for a while. You know, we've had a lot of visitors over the past few months. It'd be a, a great step to say, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you. My name is such and such. You know what else you can do? You can go to lunch. You don't want to stay here. You're hungry. We'll be done soon. Don't worry. Say, hey, do you want to, you want to go to lunch with me? Let's go. You know who likes to eat? This guy. I do. I'll go out with you. We've got to bring like my wife and three kids. kind of crazy, but we'll go. We'll come to your house. And that's better. I told my, I'll have to check with my wife, but I'm sure you're invited to my house too. That might be a little easier. Why? Why would we do that? Because we want to know you. Because we're coming to church together. We're supposed to be worshiping together. How are we supposed to do that if we don't know each other? If you're new here, you're not off the hook either. I say, go meet some people. There's some great people here. But chapel people, you all better set the example. Join a home group. 
There's Bible studies happening all through the week. Be involved in Sunday school. It's not just about learning stuff. It's about fellowship, relationship, getting to know Jesus. Let's take our relationships to the next level and let's bring them before God as we pray for the real needs in our body. Sure, pray for health, but also pray for a deeper understanding of God's grace. Pray for that money to come in, that bill to get paid, but also pray for a stronger reliance on God through any trial that comes your way. Yes, pray for the sick person. Pray for their healing and their comfort. But also pray for the opportunity to minister. Pray for the opportunity to share the Gospel. No, I don't think you should pray for a more comfortable life. Sorry, I don't. No, but I do think you should pray for a better understanding of what God is doing in your life. That you should pray for an understanding of what the Spirit wants you to do. Where the will of God is leading you. Are we praying so that we might be a good witness? Are we praying for gospel opportunities? When's the last time that you've prayed for holiness? For yourself or someone else? This is what it means to pray with spiritual maturity. That we know and trust that it's God who will do the work. It's aligning our will with His and praying to that end. You know, Paul could pray with boldness because he was in tune with what God wanted. We won't do it again, but if you read again through verses 11-13, through 13, look at how many times Paul references God. It's God who's doing the work. It's Jesus who's doing the work. We're relying on God to show and reveal and to give you this love and faith and hope. I want you to be blameless in holiness for God's sake. We get through the verses, but there's one more factor when it comes to effective prayer. Effective prayer is modeled by consistent living. You know, this isn't Paul's first prayer. It's certainly not Paul's only prayer. This is not unusual for Paul. This is Paul's way of life. He has a common problem with godly men. He has Daniel syndrome. Right? Remember Daniel and the lion's den? The way he got in trouble is because people could set their clock by the way Daniel prayed. That they knew this was a man of God who prayed morning, afternoon, and evening without fail. That was Daniel's way of life. And this was Paul's way of life. It was part of who he was. And I think I already mentioned there was 42 formal prayers at least of Paul in the New Testament. But as you read through his letters, it's kind of hard to distinguish, well, what's a formal prayer and what's him just talking? And when is he teaching and and when is he praying? And and to me, that's just an amazing thing. It's a good thing. Because, man, this guy was just praying all the time. I was reading through some things this week and, and, and a quote I believe from Charles Spurgeon comes to mind and he talks about how Paul not only uh, had an act of prayer, but he was living in the spirit of prayer. How did Paul get there? How did Paul become this model of prayer for us? Well, it pretty much happened in one day. 
may not happen like with you and me in one day, but it happened with Paul in one day. You know what that day was? The day he met Jesus. The day he met Jesus, Paul's life was so transformed, he never looked back. And so we would be amiss if we just try to put this all on Paul. And Paul would be upset with us if we try to make it about Paul. Paul prayed like this because he knew Jesus. And if we were to go back, we would look at the prayer life of Jesus, you see that Jesus taught an awful lot about prayer. But you know what Jesus also did? He modeled an awful lot about prayer. And Paul followed that example. Jesus prayed in the morning and he prayed in the evening. Jesus prayed in public and he prayed in private. He prayed alone and he prayed with his disciples. He prayed short prayers and he prayed long prayers and he spent whole nights in prayer. Jesus prayed not only for himself and his ministry, but he prayed for everyone around him and he prayed especially for his disciples. You know, one of my favorite lines in the Gospels is when the disciples ask Jesus and they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. The fascinating part about that to me is a lot of these guys knew how to pray. And I believe they were praying as they were ministering with people. But I think they had these moments with Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, we pray, but we don't pray like you pray. Jesus, we, we thought we knew how to pray until we met you. And now we see how you're praying, and we need to know how you pray. Jesus, Teach me, teach us how we should pray. And so Jesus says, our Father. And he goes on and teaches them. And I believe that the power in this letter from Paul and the reason why the church at Thessalonica would be so encouraged when they receive this letter is not just knowing that this is some guy out there, but this is a guy who cares, who loves them. And when he says says he's praying for them, he's actually praying for them. These were not just some words on a page, but they are words that have been written in the spirit of prayer. So we must ask ourselves, how are we praying? I wonder, does your family know you pray? Do you ever pray with your family? Do people at church here know you pray? And and you know, the question is not really, do you pray? And it's not really, how often do you pray? The question is, is your life marked by prayer? And when I think back about how I was telling you, hearing about how Ainsley prayed, I can't help that I I think I feel a little bit about what Paul wanted for the church at Thessalonica. Right, where I saw that Ainsley's prayer was driven by love. She loves her mom. She's excited about her baby brother coming. She's wondering where dad is. True love. It's based on relationship. And as I think about that, I'm so encouraged because you know why? Because I am praying for her development and her spiritual maturity. And what I want from her is that this doesn't become just words that she says, but it becomes a part of who she is. And, and this is how Paul describes the, the church, that they were his children. He was like a mother and father, and this is what he wants for them. And shouldn't that be the hope for us all? That this church would be marked by the way it cares for and prays for one another. 
That this isn't just some artificial social club, some place where believers come together, but it would be a place where believers come together and are encouraged and strengthened in their faith. That each week when we come together, we're not satisfied in just asking about the weather or saying that everything's fine, but we're actually truly coming together to encourage, to pray, to strengthen. That we're willing to open up and share. That's my prayer that I hope that's what you want for the Chapel of the Lake. And so if you do, because that's what I believe is the model prayer for us. What do I do? Say, so, well, how do I implement this? What can I do this week? Well, I've got five steps for you. Real quick. Choose someone. That's where it starts. Choose someone. Look around this room. Find someone you don't know. Think about your family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody. Um, missionary. Next week you're going to see Operation Christmas Child boxes. You know what every one of those Operation Christmas Child represents? A small child receiving the gospel of Jesus. Pray for that person even though you don't know the name. Choose someone. Choose someone to invest in. And then focus on the relationship. It can't just be about praying for prayer's sake. Focus on the relationship. You've got to get to know them before you can get to the next step. The next step is to pray for them. Relationship first, pray next. When you know them, you can discern and pray for their spiritual needs. And then do it consistently. Prayer isn't just a slip we write down one time and hand to God and say, hey, take care of this. That's not the picture of prayer in the Bible. We are called to do it over and over again. And then step five is the fun part. Step back and watch God work. If I was at at number six, it would be repeat with someone else. This is what we're supposed to be marked by as a church and as Christians. But as we end here, I want to show you something. Step back and watch how God works. I want you to turn a page or two and go to Second Thessalonians, first chapter, and look at the third verse. This is what Paul says. New letter, different time, a little later. Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we boast about you. What's fascinating about this verse is this. We're not sure if Paul ever made it back to Thessalonica. We know he hadn't made it back yet. That's why he's writing them a letter. He does go to Macedonia. We don't know if he ever gets back. But do you know what we know? God answered Paul's prayer. What was Paul praying for? He's like, well, I want to be there so I can supply what is lacking in your faith and I want your love to overflow. Well, here it is. Here's God saying... Here's the answer. It is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. God answered Paul's prayer. But hear this. God didn't answer Paul's prayer the way that Paul wanted him to answer it. 
What was Paul's desire? Paul wanted to be there. Paul wanted to go and bring Timothy inside and say, let's go, we want to see you face to face and we want to be the ones who encourage you and we want to be the one to build your faith and we want to be part of sharing in your love and causing that thing to overflow. That didn't happen. Yet, Paul's prayers were answered. And so Paul celebrates. He doesn't say, well, God, why didn't you let me be a part of that? No, he's just happy. Because he is not praying for Paul's sake. He's praying for God's sake and the Gospel's sake. And he's happy to see that God is faithful. That his prayers have been answered. What do we know about effective prayer? That God will answer it. And can I just encourage you to be faithful? It may not look how you think it ought to look but I promise you it's better that way. God knows what is best. He is working in you and through you to accomplish His will and work in the world. Through prayer, we get to come alongside God's mission for us. And then we get to sit back and glory in how God answers the prayers perfectly. Will you pray with me? I say a lot of we's and a lot of failings here this morning because I know I don't have this thing of prayer figured out and I know that I need to think about what I'm praying and who I'm praying for and how I'm, and how I'm praying. But I thank you that we have an example in your Son who did it perfectly. And through your Son, Jesus Christ, who stands as our advocate, who stands as our mediator, that we trust in Him to accomplish the work. Lord, we pray for your will to be done. But we also pray and thank you for the opportunity we have to come alongside you and do your work. Lord, I'm excited to think about what it would look like for the Chapel of the Lake to follow this model of prayer. I'm excited to think about what it would look like for people to come together to genuinely love and care, encourage one another. One who would be concerned about each other's spiritual maturity and growth. One who is looking around not comparing themselves to others, but looking to You, the author, finisher, perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us follow Your model in prayer. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen.